Welcome to That's What She Said, a podcast of sermons at Galileo Christian Church, Disciples of Christ. Galileo exists to seek and shelter spiritual refugees, who for us are people for whom the church has become boring, irrelevant, exclusive, or even painful, especially people who have been pushed out because of their gender or sexuality. If you yourself are a spiritual refugee, we're especially glad you're listening. We're in the um, next to last Sunday of this worship series called The Shape of Shalom. We've spent these weeks together, the last several, building up our prophetic imaginations, funding our imaginations with visions of God's good future, God's dreams for the future of this world and the human family. We've been examining dominant narratives that are offered by history and culture and church. And we've been seeking the counter-narratives that our ancestors in faith said were more true than the majority report. There's a content consideration for the sermon tonight. We will be acknowledging the reality of gun violence in our world. I trust you to take care of yourself. If that means leaving the space for a little while and coming back, there's lots of spaces where you can be on your own and not have to be part of that if that's not safe and good for you. If you're at home, you can just mute it for a little while if you need to. But not yet, because Micah 4 is quite beautiful and deserves to be heard. Micah chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. In days to come, the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established as the highest of the mountains and shall be raised up above the hills. Peoples shall stream to it And many nations shall come and say, Come, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord, to the house of the God of Jacob, that God may teach us God's ways, and that we may walk in God's paths. For out of Zion shall go forth instruction and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. The Lord shall judge between many peoples and shall arbitrate between strong nations far away. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nation shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. But they shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid." For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. I don't know, Steph, I said on the phone with my voice, because Steph is an old soul and has this endearingly anachronistic habit of using her phone to call people when she wants to communicate with them. And I've adjusted. I don't know, I said, that Muna song about lay down your weapon, lay down your weapon is great, but I'm not sure we should be calling to mind weapons and running and singing Don't Be Afraid just days after there's been a mass shooting. That was six Sundays ago. 
And while she and I agreed that the song was perfect for that service on May 29, we also agreed that it just wasn't the right time, that it was too soon after the murders of school children and their teachers in Uvalde. We were just going to need a different kind of care that day. That song, we said, that song could wait for another Sunday. So here we are, just six Sundays later, six whole weeks longer. And we've scheduled the reading of a prophetic poem from Micah chapter 4 that might as well have been the source for the song. Weapons melted down for gardening tools, the cessation of fear in God's good future. And it is the perfect time, liturgically speaking, to pull that song out of the files and sing together about laying down our weapons, about not being afraid. Uvalde was six weeks ago. We're still sad, but we're not still in shock. It'll be okay. But before we could get an order of worship established for tonight, Six days ago, just outside Chicago at a July 4th parade, another onslaught of violence. One person waiting on a rooftop with one fast-firing gun and many magazines of ammunition. And just days before that, an unarmed black man, Jalen Walker, say his name, was shot 60 times in the back as he ran from police in Akron, Ohio. That was June 28th. And a couple weeks later, just this past Friday night, two nights ago, as protests in Akron escalated, gunshots fired into a family celebration, killed a four-year-old girl, severe head wounds, they said, about that baby that won't see five. And I know very well that I'm not catching it all. The violence among our near neighbors, the threat of violence around every corner. To recite such a list for the last six weeks alone would eat up our time together tonight. And of course, there's so much more we could say about violence in the whole wide world. Warfare and assassination, murderous regimes, ruthless cartels, the threat of brutality that hangs in the air we breathe. When will we sing our songs about laying down weapons and learning not to be afraid if we have to wait for a lull in the violence? Micah said our ancestors should sing them now, right now while the hungry house of Tiglath-Pileser sat on the throne of superpower Assyria, commanding great armies to sweep through the ancient Near East and take control of territory and resources, including people. Right now, while swarms of Assyrian soldiers tramped through the land gifted to Israel by God, taking anything and anyone they wanted and ruining the rest. Now, Micah said, while Jerusalem itself, the home of the temple and the center of religious devotion for Micah and all his kin was under threat from the north where their brethren had already fallen to Assyrian dominance where the encroaching menace could be seen on the horizon if you strained your eyes just a little bit. They should sing, Micah said, right now of something they could not see. But he could. And if they would listen, he would show it to them. 
I know a place, he said. I know a place we can go where everyone going to lay down their weapon, lay down their weapon. That place, he said, was the mountain of the Lord's house. And while it's certainly true that the Jerusalem temple was built on a high spot in the center of that city, it was and is not the highest of the mountains raised up above the hills, as Micah claimed. Which is a pretty good clue that he's talking about something that has not happened yet, not a present-day reality for the prophet, but an envisioned future, a someday day, when the geography itself would conform to God's own imagination. Very much like in Isaiah 40 from last week where the mountains are lowered and the valleys exalted because the planet itself knows that equity is a feature of God's good future. Or like in Isaiah 65, our responsive reading tonight, where the animal kingdom gets the memo and the lion and the wolf lay down their weapons so the ox and the lamb can be dinner companions, not dinner. And this mountain of the Lord's house, it has to be high, it has to be visible from everywhere, Micah says, because God's future is invitational to all. That is, everyone all around the world is beckoned to the Lord's house, where the Lord is holding round-the-clock master classes in how things could be, how the world could be beautiful again, how its people could live peaceably again. The peoples of the earth stream to the mountain in Micah's mind's eye with the intention of learning. Come, they say, let us go up to the mountain of the Lord so that God can teach us God's ways, so that we can walk in God's paths. And you'll notice that the education on offer is not coercive. You're not forced to learn it or even to want to learn it. You're simply invited to consider it, this syllabus of God's shalom, along with everybody else in the whole world, it's a feature of God's imagined future that God's own invitation can be heard and responded to without threat of violence or judgment or punishment or pain. Come on over, God says. And while the invitation is open, and free. It comes with a request. While you're here, God could use a little help with the gardens out back. A little spading and shoveling, a little hoeing and harvesting, just keeping things fresh for the Lord's kitchen, which after all is going to feed all the people of the world. <laughs> you're going to need to bring your tools for this backyard work, but if you don't have any, no worries, Micah says. There are magnetometers at all the entrances to the mountain of the Lord. Metal detectors, weapon detectors, that no good leader would ever want to shut down, even if he was reasonably sure that the people carrying them pose no threat to himself. Because in God's dream of how humanity works together, violence against each other would be catastrophic to the shalom God wants for us all. No, 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 no. Micah says, to the ones who protest that they just need a little something just for protection. 
Now, in God's curriculum, we ain't going to study war no more. We won't learn just war theory or defensive maneuvers or coercive strategies of any kind. The weapons have all disappeared in a pool of molten metal anyway, so they can be refashioned into plows and pruning hooks. You'll never get through to the high mountain of God's beautiful future if you keep the possibility of violence alive, strapped to your body as a threat to any who trespass on what belongs to you. Because that's what the guns are, right? They are the material manifestation of the possibility of violence springing forth from our own hearts. The guns embody an idea that if you and I disagree sharply enough, or if I simply want what you have, or if I don't want you to have what I have, or if I perceive that you don't want me to have what I have, or any of another million iterations of opposition between human beings, the splintering of the human family into billions of self-interested selves who each want what they want, even at the expense of other human lives, potentially, possibly, maybe, if certain circumstances demanded it. Well, the gun in the hand is the weight of all that wanting. And our desperation to get and keep, and our suspicion that the barrier between me and having what I want could be you. There's literally a billboard on 1187 between Mansfield and my house in the country that says, Guns won't fill the emptiness in your soul. For that, you need ammo. I have a vandalism fantasy that might get me arrested one of these days. I trust that's okay with you. <laughs> but till then, I'll just keep thinking about how they have simply said out loud what I did not know they knew. That in the dominant narrative of our culture, it is purported that the anxious malaise you're infected with, the spiritual virus we are all susceptible to, could be, if not cured, at least suppressed. If you simply possessed the means to murder your neighbor, guns won't fill the emptiness in your soul. For that, you need ammo. I just keep thinking of the Uvalde shooter before he was known to us as that, driving by that billboard. The Highland Park shooter before he became that, driving by that billboard. How many times does that message get repeated, ingested, before it starts to feel true? For Micah, it was not sufficient to just melt down the weapons and supply us each with a lifetime supply of farm implements. As it turns out, the reason it's even possible to imagine such a thing is that in God's good future, nobody's soul is empty. That is to say, each of us is granted all that we need for health and wholeness. Each of us has enough. Each of us is cared for sufficiently for our flourishing. Micah says it like this. They shall all sit under their own vines and under their own fig trees, and no one shall make them afraid. For the mouth of the Lord of hosts has spoken. It's a right-sized vision 
of what we each require for our souls to be full. A vine making grapes for sweet wine, a fig tree making shade and snacks. It's not too much. It's not a money-making venture into which you've sunk a bunch of capital and out of which you must make bank. It's not a career for which you will toil your youth away in hopes of catching some Sabbath later. It's not a warehouse of surplus you hoard against a future threat. It's not a competition with any of your neighbors. It's not a catalog or a wish list or a reality show that makes you feel inadequate and under-resourced. Instead, it is sustenance. It is just enough for you and your beloveds to live with some sweetness and some shade. And since everybody has some, and everybody has learned God's lesson of shalom, says Micah, nobody is wrangling for any more than they've been given. No one shall make them afraid, he says, of the children in their classrooms and the crowd gathered for a parade and the black man pulled over on a routine traffic stop, and the family at a cookout. No one shall make you afraid, the prophet says, to you. Because in God's good future, no one has the means to hurt you anymore. The conflicts have all been arbitrated. The nations have settled their scores. The mouth of the Lord has spoken. At last Tuesday's Bible and Beer, we talked about that vine and fig tree, about whether the particularity of Micah's vision could strike a chord in our anxious hearts, or whether there were some other shape of shalom residing in our contemporary visions of God's good future. One mom said that she could see a house where she and her kids could each have a bedroom and where her friend, also a single parent, could move in with her kids. And there would be plenty of room for everybody. And they could help each other out with the incredibly important and difficult task of raising good human beings. And I marveled and how possible it is that a simple poem recited by an ancient prophet talked about over a cold beverage among friends who share a faithful hope for God's good future could so immediately help us to right-size our hungers. How Micah's vision of equity could, at least for a little while, relieve us of our fears and assure us of our well-being and how we could want that, not just for ourselves, but for each other. How we could feel that wanting deep down for someone else's sake. And how that wanting could shape our togetherness as a church. And I wondered what it would be like to see it work. That our own education in the house of the Lord our unlearning of violence in this place, our unhanding of, of the weapons that make violence possible, our 
acceptance of God's arbitration and the equity of God's sharing, that our own learning to walk this path along which everybody has enough and no one threatens another makes them afraid because everybody has what they need. That our studious attention to this curriculum of equity and peace would flow out from here, downhill from this mountain of the Lord, not as coercion, but as a genuine invitation to a new way of living together, a demonstration of the beauty that is possible when we lay down our weapons. Oh, I want to see that, church. I want to see that with Micah and with all of you. In days to come, Micah said, and with all his hearers and readers through the ages, we say, how about now? We're ready. Thanks for listening to That's What She Said. This podcast is preached almost always by our lead evangelist, Reverend Dr. Katie Hayes. Galileo Church has five missional priorities. We do justice for LGBTQ plus people and those who love them. We do kindness to those in mental and emotional distress and celebrate neurodiversity. We do beauty for our God who is beautiful. We do real relationship, no bullshit, ever. And we do whatever it takes to share this good news with the world God still loves. To support the production of this podcast and the ongoing missional priorities of this church, Go to GalileoChurch.org and click on Conspire With Us. You'll have options to use your Venmo or PayPal or use your credit card or bank account. Any amount helps. And if you're kind enough to share your contact information with us, we'll continually send you thanks. Peace.